0: Hi, everyone. I'm glad you could join us today for today's Beach Talk. I love to help us understand every word of God that's in the word of God. My objective is always simple and the same. Um, It's disciples making disciples who plant churches that plant churches. So the grassroots movement of Jesus can continue all over the world. Now, our vision for this year is to multiply from four local churches in two countries to eight, local churches in four countries. This is a really big vision so we need you to pray with us to help God give us the favor and the blessing to do that. Now we have three trips planned for this year. One trip uh, to El Salvador in June, one trip to Indonesia in September, and one trip to Bangladesh in December. We would love for you to come to help us install uh, ocean-based water systems like the ocean water behind me that turn the ocean water into clean drinking water for people everywhere so be praying about this with these platforms we help start local churches uh, now today we're in matthew chapter 23 uh, it says uh, then jesus spoke to the multitudes uh, and to his disciples saying the scribes and the pharisees sit in moses's seat therefore whatever they tell you to observe <clears throat> that you should do but do not do according to their works for they say and do not do they bind heavy burdens on people they're hard to bear and they put these commands on people's shoulders now what is happening here well jesus rebukes the scribe and the pharisees for putting oppressive burdens on people does that sound like some churches (laughs) jesus was speaking to multitudes and and to these groups but he said to the religious leaders in particularly they had hardened their hearts to jesus and Instead, he wanted to warn people and Jesus' followers about this. Now, William Barclay says that, that the Talmud described actually a bunch of different kinds of Pharisees. Now, I want you to think about each of these and if you can relate to them in any way. Now, there was the shoulder Pharisee. This was the person who wore all their good deeds and their righteousness on their shoulders for everybody to see, sort of like social media. There were the wait and uh, little Pharisee. These were the people that intended to do good, good, but they would always try to wait for somebody else to do it. There was the bruised and bleeding Pharisee, the one who was so holy that he would turn his head away from any woman seen in public and was constantly bumping into things and tripping and thus injuring himself, sort of a victim mentality. There was the humpbacked Pharisee who was so humble that he walked barely lifting his feet, so that everyone could see how humble he was. There was the always counting Pharisee who was always counting up his good deeds and believed that he would uh, put God in debt to him for all of the good that he had done. And then there was the fearful Pharisee who did good because he was terrified that God would strike him with judgment if he didn't. And then there was the God-fearing Pharisee, those who really loved God and did good deeds to please the God that he loved. Now, whatever what did Moses' seat mean? Well, synagogues had a stone seat at the front where the authoritative teacher would sit down. Now, the Jews spoke of the teacher's seat as we speak of sort of a professor's chair or a lectern in the front of a classroom. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees were bad examples because they expected more of others than they did of themselves. Now, they put heavy burdens on others, yet they themselves didn't lift a finger to do what they to do the advice that they were giving to others. Now the burden of religious leaders contrasts sharply with Jesus's burden. They put a heavy burden on them. Jesus puts a light burden on us. In fact, Jesus says, "Come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Now the first the first accusation against these religious leaders could apply to many relig- religious leaders today. Many teach as if the essence of Christianity were a bunch of rules to follow and it isn't. Jesus taught friendship and relationship with him was the starting point for everything good that can happen in your life. Do you have a friendship with Jesus? Now look at verse five, but all those works were not to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders with their garments. They love the best places at the feasts, the best seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in marketplaces and to be called by men rabbi. But you are not called rabbi, for there's only one teacher, the Christ, and you are all his brothers. Do not, anyone, do not call anyone on earth your father, for there's one father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, Jesus. Now, the religious leaders were guilty of advertising their righteous deeds. Think about this. They acted out the religious spirit that Jesus spoke against in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you promote your good deeds before men now in an age when everyone has their own channel and their own brand how do we apply this well this is a great question allow god to speak to you regarding this these things now the phylacteries they were these were small leather boxes with tiny scrolls with scriptures in them tied to the arm and the head and the borders of their garments and worn in an attempt to do all of the mosaic law they were like little reminders But it was totally natural for these religious leaders to believe that broader phylacteries and larger borders on their garments showed them to be more spiritual. The idea of wearing the phylacteries and the special borders of their garments was obedience to what God had commanded Israel under the covenant given at Mount Sinai. Now remember, the use of these things to promote an image of super-spirituality was the fault of human sinfulness not the command itself we tend to take the things that god says we put all of our stuff on top of it they weren't content just to be seen as being religious they wanted to be seen as being super religious or sort of fakely religious, sort of over-the-top religious and jesus warns us against acting in this manner now he warned them that they should not imitate the scribes and the pharisees on this point his followers should always remember that you are all brothers that one should not be exalted above another. We're all even, we're all equal under Jesus. Now, he also warned his listeners against giving anyone inappropriate honor. One may have a father or a teacher in a normal human sense, but should not regard them in a sense that gives them excessive spiritual honor or authority. Jesus warns against that. Charles Spurgeon said, "'In the church, all titles and honors which exalt men and give an occasion for pride or to be forbidden. Think about that. Now, for the rest of the scripture, we can see that Jesus did not intend this as an absolute prohibition. Rather, uh, he was speaking to the heart that loves and collects and cherishes titles. This really easily creeps up on us, this sort of title gathering. Now, what God forbids in uh, in regards to titles is that we don't hunt after them. Now titles are okay if they mean something. If I get in a car crash and I go to a hospital, I want surgery from the best medically trained professional. I don't want to have surgery from someone who's seen a bunch of YouTube videos or read a few online articles and now they've proclaimed to everyone that they're a doctor. Uh, We don't want sort of, we want someone who has that training, who has that title. Nevertheless, This command is often ignored and violated today in the way that people give and receive titles, such as a prophet, apostle, or reverend, and so on. Now look at verse 11. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. This is the title Jesus wants us to focus on. Servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now here we find the way of Jesus. Service and humility. Now, normally people estimate greatness by how many people serve or honor them. Jesus reminded his followers uh, that his kingdom should be different, that we should estimate greatness by how we serve and how we honor other people, not follower amounts or subscribers or financial amounts or website traffic. (laughs) Jesus truly was the greatest among them. He spoke of himself as a servant. Now, it was unfortunate that many of the followers of Jesus imitate the leadership philosophy and style of the Pharisees more than the philosophy and style of Jesus. Now, people and pastors uh, might get sidetracked and sometimes hijack the teachings of Jesus for their own fame and their own promotion. Jesus wants us to avoid this at all costs. Do everything that you can to avoid fame, popularity, notoriety and being a celebrity these go against the teaching of jesus jesus wants us to be humble followers and servants to him who has ears let us hear this now verse 13 but woe to you scribes and pharisees you hypocrites for you shut the kingdom of heaven against men for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in now what's jesus saying here well he says woe to those who shut up the kingdom What's this mean? Well, literally, the word hypocrites refers to an actor, someone playing a part. Jesus exposed the corruption covered by the spiritual image of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, the religious leaders kept people from the kingdom of heaven by making human traditions and rules more important than God's word. This was clearly seen in the way that they opposed and rejected Jesus. For if they'd opened the kingdom of heaven to men, they would have welcomed and received Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. Now it's bad for someone not to enter into the kingdom themselves, but it's far worse to prevent someone from entering God's kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Now in verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you receive greater condemnation. Now the religious leaders, they were stealing from the vulnerable. They were using clever and dishonest dealing. They were stealing widows' houses, and they were careful to cover it up in the name of good business or stewardship. Now their long, falsely spiritual prayers were used to build a spiritual imman, often for the sake of big donations. the great the greatness of their sin demanded a greater condemnation than others will endure now under this concept we can say that no one will have a good in hell but we can trust that some will have it worse than others especially if they do stuff like this and charles spurgeon pointed out again he said these words prove that there are degrees of punishment and there are degrees of of glory in heaven all the ungodly will be in judged and condemned by the righteous judge but the greater condemnation will be reserved for the hypocrites that Jesus was talking about here now verse 15 he says woe to you scribes and Pharisees for you travel land and sea to make one convert and when you do you make them twice the son of hell that you are Wow very strong language the religious leaders led their converts on the wrong path that you travel land and sea to win one convert their zeal and evangelism did not prove that they were right with god these religious leaders went to great lengths to win others but they brought people to darkness not to the light to the heavy burden not the easy burden of jesus now william barclay points out that the word convert literally means um, one who was who had accepted the ceremonial law and the circumcision had who had become in the fullest sense a Jewish person but to see how they had led them the wrong way to being Jewish not to Jesus so you see through their great energy they could win some but they had no lasting good to those who they had thought they had won now their business was not to turn men from sin to God but merely to convert them to their opinion that's the difference now look at verse 16 another indictment what are you blind guides for whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Now fools and blind guides, for which of you is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that it is on it, he's obliged to perform. Fools and blind guides, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore hear who hath whoever swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it and who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it and him who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it let me unpack all of this for you now the religious leaders made false and deceptive claims and commitments now out of obedience to God they refused to swear by the name of God yet they constructed an elaborate system of oaths some of which were binding and some were not. It was a way of making a promise while keeping your sort of your fingers crossed behind your back like when you were a little kid. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Now here Jesus emphasized that the altar itself is greater than the sacrifice that was made upon it. The altar is established as between a meeting place between God and man, and our altar is between Jesus himself And the work on the cross now Jesus reminded them that every oath is binding and God holds the oath maker to account even if they excuse themselves so now verse 23 woe to you scribes and Pharisees you hypocrites for you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law justice mercy and faith these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now this is really funny. The religious leaders were obsessed with trivialities and ignoring the most important things. They were majoring on the minors. Their tithing was meticulous and noteworthy but hypocritical because it served to soothe the guilt of their neglect of the more important things. It is both possible and common to be distracted with little things to be lost on the major things. God wants us to, to major in the majors (laughs) focus on what it's important now the weightier matters do not refer to the more difficult or harder but to the more central the most decisive things and Jesus illustrated their folly with the humorous picture of a man so committed to a kosher diet that he would not swallow a gnat because it was not bled properly in accordance with their kosher regulations but the same man would swallow an entire camel this is certainly got some chuckles from the crowd this is a humorous picture that must have raised the laugh from from the people who heard it this is really fun because sometimes it's hard in the bible to distinguish which times are funny but this is one of those ones that definitely was now look at verse 25 woe to you scribes and pharisees you hypocrites for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence blind pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside may be clean also now the religious leaders were impure both on the inside and on the outside they were satisfied with the superficial cleansing the appearance of righteousness does this sound familiar people who were more concerned with the outside than the inside now they were unconcerned with an inside full of sin and corruption Now, Jesus did not call them to choose between their outer righteousness and their inner righteousness. He called them to be concerned with both, but to first address the inside. True outward righteousness starts on the inside if it's genuine and sincere. Now, verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you also appear... Uh, outwardly righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, the religious leaders have the appearance of good, but without a spiritual life on the inside of them. Now, it was the custom of Jews at that time to whitewash the tombs in the city of Jerusalem before the Passover so that no one would touch one accidentally thus making them ceremonially unclean. Jesus said that these religious leaders were like whitewashed tombs. They were pretty on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. Strong words to remind us about. Men might see them as righteous, but God didn't. God is never fooled by what we show on the outside. He sees what we actually are, not what we appear to be to others. Now verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adam and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say if we had lived in the days of our fathers we would have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons uh, of those who murdered the prophets fill up then the measure of your father's guilt you serpents you brood of vipers how can you escape the condemnation of hell therefore indeed i will send you prophets wise men and scribes some of them you will kill and crucify and some you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on that you may that may all of their blood may come on you from the earth, as it did in Zechariah, son of Berechiah, who you murdered in the temple and the altar. Surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now what's happening here? Now the religious leaders honor dead prophets, but murder the living ones. They professed to venerate dead prophets, but they were rejecting living prophets. In doing so, they showed that they were really the children of those who murdered the prophets instead of the children of those who were following the prophets about what they were claiming to be. Jesus prophesied how these religious leaders would complete the rejection of the prophets. Their fathers began by persecuting his disciples whom he would send to them. They had it all backwards. Jesus' strongest language in the New Testament is here you serpents, you brood of vipers. This phrase has the idea of the family of the devil. These religious leaders took an unmerited pride in their heritage, thinking they were sons of Abraham. Jesus said, you're sons of the devil. Jesus spoke so strongly about these religious leaders for two reasons. Now, first, he did not want others to be deceived by them. And then second, he loved these men. These men were the farthest from God, and they needed to be warned of the coming judgment. What jesus really wanted was their repentance not their judgment just like he does for both of us for all of us now verse 37 jerusalem jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stone those who were sent to her how often i wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing see your house is left to you desolate for i say to you you shall see me no more till you say Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Jesus laments for Jerusalem just like he laments for us. Jesus wept as he looked over the city of Jerusalem. He thought about a coming judgment, and he said these words. Jesus wanted to protect them from the terrible judgment that would eventually follow their rejection of him. Now, Jesus wept two times here at the pain of knowing that he would befall those who reject him, and also at the tomb of Lazarus weeping at the power and the pain of death. Now, his heart broke for them. Now, when we sin, God doesn't hate us. He genuinely sorrows for us. Knowing that in every way our sin and rebellion only destroys our life, we should hope that we we can share God's sorrow for the people that are lost around us. Now, Jesus wanted to protect, nourish, and cherish those people, even as a mother bird protects her young chickens. Now the picture of a hen and her chicks tells us something about what Jesus wanted to do for those people who reject him. He wants to comfort them and protect them, to make them safe, to help them to feel happy. He wanted to make them feel part of a blessed community, to feel warm, to feel invited, to promote their own growth, to put them in an atmosphere of safety. He wanted them to know his love. But this could only happen if they'd come to him when he called them. Now the promise was not, the problem was not the willingness of Jesus to rescue and protect them. The problem is that they were not willing. Therefore, the predicted destruction would come upon them. Think about that. Jesus wants us to gently come to him as he gently calls us and warns us welcomes us to come and have a relationship with him. Now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus here revealed something of the conditions surrounding his second coming. Now, when Jesus comes again, the Jewish people will welcome him as the Messiah, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, what does this mean? Well, it'll take a great deal to bring people to this point, but God will do it. It is promised that when jesus comes back even the apostle paul said in romans 11 that people will be saved now this concludes our time looking at matthew chapter 23 today now what did you hear god saying to you today through his word let's talk to god about that that's called prayer now maybe we need to hit or you can hit reset today in your maybe you need to stop doing some things or start doing some things prayer is just saying god i hear what you're saying to me today and i choose to take a step to follow you in the direction that i feel like you're calling me to so would you pray with me right now and say god help me to do that in jesus name amen now i want to wrap up our time together today by encouraging you to give as part of your worship we have a place for you to do that on our website. You can go to www.oceanwater, O-C-N-W-T-R.com. And if you felt God speaking to you today, you want to honor God with your, with your money, you can do that on our website, on our giving link there. You know, our money just shows what we value. And we want you to value the work that God is doing through ocean water, literally helping people get their water out of the ocean for free. That is a beautiful thing. That's our heart. That's our passion. So if God's speaking to you about that, there's a place for you to do that. And and as always, it's an honor to teach you every single week. And I love you that I get to do this. And I hope that you have a beautiful day.